0: This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Now, Father, we thank you for this morning and thank you already for uh, the opportunity to worship together and uh, Lord, to praise together and to pray together. Uh, thank you for the joy in singing, uh, Lord, and for the ministry of your word as we read through the Gospels. We praise you for this. And Lord, as we continue on in Thessalonians this morning, we just pray for your insight. Stir us in the areas of our lives, Lord, where we need to grow in application of your word to our lives. So we praise you and we thank you this morning. In the name of your Son, Amen. Hallelujah. So. Hopefully you've been reading First and Thessalon- uh, Second Thessalonians, and being enriched by that, which is one of the reasons Paul wrote the letter. And he said, "Therefore, comfort one another with these words," as he was talking about uh, about the return of the Lord and the fate of those who have died. And um, you know, this is possibly Paul's first letter. There's some dispute as to whether it was this or the the letter to the Galatians, but Either way, it's dated to around about 52 AD, roughly speaking, and um, uh, you can do some research into the ancient manuscripts that have been found of Paul's letters, uh, and all of his letters, uh, almost every word of them have been located in ancient manuscripts that date back uh, as far as the 3rd century. Um, so these were uh, profoundly accurate uh, scribe, you know, uh, copies, if you like, of the original letters. And uh, I think they're uh, known in the theological circles as P46 or something like that, which is the articles, um, the ancient manuscripts of Paul's letters. And so, um, you know, I was listening to uh, someone teaching on this the other day and he was talking about how... Accurately, the scriptures have been handed down to us, and how we can have confidence that even though there are some very minor changes to do with the context of uh, culture in which it was written, so for example, if you were writing a letter and it included a description of a footpath, um, and you know, to an Australian audience, that would make complete sense, but an American reading that and, and understanding it might then copy that letter to talk about the sidewalk, and uh, you know someone from South Africa might copy that and talk about the pavement, but we all know these words, though different, uh, have entirely the same meaning to them, and those, those are the only differences that are contained in the Pauline letters going back to the oldest uh, known manuscripts, which is a phenomenal thing because There are so many fragments of these ancient letters that we can have a real confidence that Scripture has been handed down to us uh, in its completion and is thoroughly reliable despite those kinds of small changes. Another example is um, a passage out of Romans 16 that's at the close of Romans 16 in uh, one of the sets of Paul's letters and there are multiple sets of them around the world but in one of them uh, it was at the end of Romans 15 or vice versa and so it's been put in there because uh, although the scribes had rigorous mechanisms for ensuring that the scriptures were um, complete, they sometimes did make mistakes and so then they would just put it in elsewhere um, and sometimes make a footnote as to where it should have been or a little bit like we might put a little pointing up arrow and put the word above the line showing that you know this this section has to be in that spot and so they did similar things uh, to that in some of these copies that were made Now how does this letter? bear relevance to us is, is a question because, you know, we've travelled through or we're at the at a point in history 2,000 years later almost, give or take a few decades, and so we have to wonder if this was written to uh, a group of people uh, that are not us, they, they don't resemble us, they don't even probably look like us in, in any way uh, other than being human, but But, you know, these are probably uh, quite mid-toned people with different language uh, uh, background and different cultural background, different historical background, uh, different geographical background. And so how does it bear relevance to us? Well, one fundamental thing is that uh, Thessalonians was written to a group of real believers who had real issues. And this is the the wonderful thing about those historical fragments that you can find and, and the whole letters in many cases that you can find or that you can see, in fact, um, I think it's the University of Michigan or somewhere that has an amazing collection of uh, New Testament fragments. And you can see that these were actual letters written to actual people and then they were um, by the, by the uh, second century, somewhere around about 140 A.D., Uh, there was one of the first lists of what were recognised as inspired writings, which included almost all the letters of Paul uh, by that stage. And so, you know, the point that I'm making is that the book that we hold here has gone under rigorous examination down through history and the more you look at the historical aspect of uh, this book by sound theologians, uh, the more you will see that, we, that it's reliable, that it has a, a veracity to it, a, a, a genuineness and a truthfulness to it that has been tested and proven true time and time again. So we learned last week that you can see in um, uh, Acts chapter 17 that Paul travelled to this region and established the church. And one of the ways he did that was by going to a local synagogue. There was a, a large Jewish population in uh, in Thessalonica, and so Paul went to the local synagogue there, and there he would reason with these uh, Jews, practicing Jews, uh, and he would reason with them out of the Old Testament scriptures, out of the Torah and uh, the Mosaic writings. He would reason with them, about the prophecies of the Messiah and show them that in the life of Jesus Christ that was fulfilled. And so uh, some of these Jews became believers, but as happened in that area and as seemed to happen uh, with Paul, uh, there was a group who were strictly unbelievers and they rose up against Paul, not just to... Uh, resist his teaching, but to oppose his teaching, and they caused some trouble in Thessalonica, and they uh, they mounted a campaign to uh, persecute the uh, believers there. Um, and the scripture says that they rallied up a rabble of people um, who made false accusations in Acts seventeen. So there are two main divisions of this letter in chapters one through three. Paul. Largely reminisces to these believers about their lives and he talks about, uh, you know, how they were, how the church was born, how they were nurtured, how they lived their faith, um, how they, uh, showed, uh, great strength, uh, of their faith despite persecution and how they were nurtured and how they were established and how the apostles, uh, or Paul and his team, uh, lived among them and showed them a genuine a uh, lifestyle, something that was open to their scrutiny so that they could see the way in which they lived. And Paul says, you know the kind of people we were among you. And, uh, and so he talks about that genuineness. And then he exhorts the Thessalonian church in the latter part of 1 Thessalonians to holiness, to sanctification, to a harmony and unity as believers, to honesty, to working... Uh, to a walk of faith and to continue in hope of the return of Christ and uh, helpfulness, being helpful amongst the life of the believers in the local church. So there's quite a list of things there that we can take from and that we can apply to our own lives and to our own local area as to how we live as believers in this modern day and age, because you and I can still uh, uh, urge one another toward sanctification, toward holiness, towards unity and harmony, etc., etc. So, understanding these things as to why Paul wrote the letter can help us in understanding how it helps us in this day and age. So, let's just open with the first few verses again of this chapter. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. What a phenomenal thing to say. Amen. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. This is an amazing statement that Paul makes when he talks about how the word about this church has spread so far and wide. We don't have to tell people about how the gospel was so influential among you. They're hearing this and they know that you have turned from the, the depths of idolatry you are involved in to worship and serve the, living, the true and living God. And so the same would be today when you think about a culture that is steeped in some kind of tradition or or some kind of religious fervor and then there is a, a powerful revival amongst those people and the word spreads spreads out and people don't need convincing by the ones who took the gospel there. They don't need convincing by them because they hear and know the reports of these amazing conversions away from that uh, that paganism or idolatry or, or tradition that they were involved in. And so this is the same thing. Paul here is reminding them of his love for them. That And in the midst of that, there's this band of detractors who, you know, they began following Paul shortly after his ministry began and they're um, trying to undo his good work. But in this situation in Thessalonians, it doesn't even seem that that's the case. It just seems that this crowd of unrepentant Jews uh, from the uh, from the synagogue there in the, in that area were rising up against him, and they were pressing the charge against Paul and calling them say, saying, in fact, the terrible accusation that this uh, this group of people who've turned the world upside down have come here also in Acts chapter 17. So he's reminding them of his love for them, the genuineness of his uh, of both his service and of their faith, but also he's reminding them of the kind of church that they were. And he says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth uh, from you in Macedonia and Achaea, the neighbouring areas, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. We don't have to say anything. That's This is before the internet, right? This is before all of that. <coughs> the word about them has travelled all around the world, uh, all, all around the regions, at least the regions nearby. And they had been much persecuted, but Paul says that they were filled with joy despite the persecution. They were evangelistic despite the persecution. The word of their their faith spread to other regions despite the persecution. They had dramatic conversion away from idolatry to the Son of God. He also reminded them of things that he taught them, in chapter 3, we'll see that for when we were with you, chapter 3, verse 4, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. This Wouldn't that strengthen their faith that Paul's con, in Paul's concern for them that he spent time teaching them, listen, you're you're going to suffer persecution, we're going to suffer persecution. He goes away, they get persecuted, they will have confidence in what he's teaching them. And he's reminding them of that. Chapter 4, verse 1, And finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So he reminded them of things he'd taught them. Four, verse one, that was. First Thessalonians. And he spoke to them also not to despair regarding the Lord's return and regarding those who've died. Chapter 4, verse 13. And we we uh, but we do not want to want you to be uninformed. Brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now we'll speak more on this when we get to it. But know this, that when despair sets in, the opportunity for temptation's strength increases when despair sets in when somebody begins despairing uh, let's say let's say let's bring it down to real world situations someone begins despairing that their marriage is falling apart now in a situation like that it's breaking down for whatever reason the opportunity for temptation to increase in that situation increases for temptation to take root in someone's life. It increases in that situation. And many other stories of men who have been in a a marriage that is failing and at work a female colleague starts to show a little bit of care and concern. (coughs) And out of that little bit of care and concern, an emotional bond starts to form that he now feels is not happening at home, that that bond has been broken at home. Or the opposite occurs as well for a wife who gets some uh, comfort from a, a male colleague at work. The same kind of thing. So Christians are more easily tempted into sin when they are despairing about situations in life. And so... The church was despairing about certain things, and and uh, and so Paul was encouraging them uh, not to despair. Verse eighteen of four says, "Therefore encourage one another with these words." He also encouraged them to holiness. This is something we don't hear enough of uh, in the modern church. Um, you know that, in fact, in some ways, preaching on holiness and Righteousness and endeavours for us to walk holy before the Lord has in some circles even been mocked uh, you know, that, or, or criticised as being a works-based form of Christianity. Um, but true holiness, sanctification and righteousness is not works-based. It comes out of a loving relationship with the Father and a desire to please Him. That should be at the root of it. And therefore, the motive of it should not need to be questioned. When, we, when we're just desiring to love God and we're letting him rule and reign in our hearts. And in verse 3 of chapter 4, Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, which in this case was many of them beforehand. This church had a mixture, it began with an outreach into uh, uh, Jew, Jewish, uh, Judaistic followers of Judaism, but there were idol worshippers who got involved and, and got converted as well. And so uh, Paul says to them in verse 6 that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for, the, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Immorality was rife in that region and idolatry was rife. You can still see today, if you go to the subcontinent, go to India uh, and some of the surrounding regions, how much idolatry has control in the whole culture. And even some people who claim to follow Jesus, in many cases, it is that they believe Jesus is another God among gods. And so they claim that Jesus is the God they follow out of these gods. But this is an idea, a religious idea of Jesus. He also encouraged them to correct some failures. In chapter 5, verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them highly in love. Because of their work, uh, this is a, an issue in Australia because we have um, maybe an unhealthy disrespect for authority uh, as Australians, and um, we we tend to be uh, cynical about leaders in our nation, whether they're political or even uh, you know the police or local authorities, even work. Uh, People, sometimes we can bring this kind of attitude even into the church, into Christianity. Now, that doesn't mean we just switch off our brains and our spiritual acumen. That doesn't mean we are undiscerning and we just blindly follow. That's how cults work in these pyramid structures that they establish. We, We establish ourselves firmly in the foundation of Scripture and Christian uh, theology and our walk with God and the, the quickening of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But Paul says that we should esteem those who are over us. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. I just love this passage. I just think it's so good. Especially in a day and age where we now have, like, like probably close on two generations raised with the safety net of welfare, and it, it's a it's a wonderful safety net. But you know, if you ever watch trapeze artists, the safety net is there for when things go wrong, right? you wouldn't go to a circus to watch a trapeze artist just lay on the safety net and go wow what an amazing performance you know that's not what you would do the safety net's there for a purpose and you don't want to see the result of that if things go wrong and the safety net's not there and so we are really blessed in this nation that there is a safety net for people when things go wrong that's great and it's there, and I think as a nation, we, uh, we take maybe some, some pride in the fact that we do care for those who are struggling and, and for those who, who need that safety net. But Paul says, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So they were to uphold and respect leaders, they were to work and not be busybodies, we'll see that more later, and they were in, instructed concerning matters of worship, but if this letter represents a letter to a typical church, or how a typical church looked, then we can ask a few questions that deal with the basics of the Christian life. If if this was a letter to a church in that day, which it, which it was, and therefore if that church somehow represents a local church and the, and and has characteristics of a local church and problems that are within a local church and 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 victories that are within a local church and strengths of a local church and weaknesses of a local church, then there are things that we can say and we can learn from. As a body of people, a local church, and the physical representation of the gathering of the people, there are things that we can learn from this and apply to our lives. Turn back to chapter 1. Verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul emphasizes the uh, the deity of Jesus, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a Trinitarian statement, but it is a statement, and this is something that um, uh, there's a wonderful lesson on the the triunity of the Godhead. It's a series of lessons that uh, Arnold Fruchtenborn put out on the, Uh, triunity of the Godhead and he talks at great length as Arnold tends to talk about how scripture refers to the plurality of the Godhead over and over and over and over and over again. Speaking that there are components of the Godhead that are plural in nature, more than one, but never more than three. And so somewhere between one and three is this idea about the unity of the Godhead. And so here Paul talks about God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is another occasion in which scripture identifies at least two persons of the Godhead, and so we we can't call this a Trinitarian statement, but you know we we believe in the triunity of the Godhead, and that the Holy Spirit also is the third person uh, of the of the Godhead. Verse two, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. We talked about these three points last week: your work of faith, labour of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God the Father knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now, a question that might arise here is, are you trying to be a brother or a sister that others can be thankful for? Paul writes to this church and he says, we give thanks to God always for you all. And we give thanks to God because we're remembering these things about you your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've evidenced your salvation by these things. For our gospel, verse 5, did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So this is a question that we can ask. How do we live our lives among other people and among other believers? Paul is confident to say, you know the kind of men we were among you. Now, if Paul, if his, if his behaviour had been in error, if his behavior had been sinful or his behavior had been hypocritical, he would not want to remind them of that if this man was a, a, a deceptive person, a false teacher, and trying to keep people on his side and keep the funds coming in from the offerings of the churches that he's planted around about the place and, and, and pave his way to a luxurious lifestyle. Paul wasn't doing that. And Paul says, you know the kind of men we were among you. You know that. For your sake. Verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. There was an evidence, wasn't there, in Paul's life of the Lord and there was an evidence in that church to the surrounding areas of the life of God in that church. Is there evidence of the power of God in my life, in your life? Is there evidence of the power of God in our church? to the community around us? These are good questions, and if there's not, there needs to be change in our lives so that there is. That should then stand as a as a rebuke to us or an exhortation to us that, hey, you know, this was written to that church back then. What about you today? Is there evidence? You know, and the people around you, the, the regions around you knew. Verse 8, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded out, uh, sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia but also in, in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul here is, is saying that where we go, the word about you has gone out, how you turn from this rampant idolatry to serve God. And this has been an aid to us in the sharing of the gospel. We don't have to share these things because they already know why are questions like this important is it, you know why when we why should we read through a text like that and ask questions relevant to our own lives you know and and ask ourselves am i this kind of person, does this represent my church? Is is that the testimony of our church? And, and if it's lacking, then what am I doing about it to fix that lacking within the church? What am I doing about it to see God move through my life in this way that my life would be this testimony like Paul is talking about here? Well, we can get so often, and, and, and I am... Prone to this, I think it is is very much a bloke thing that that we can do sometimes. Men men and women are, are different, and um, you know you may have noticed, despite the world trying to say that we're not, <laughs> we're different emotionally, psychologically, physically. But one of the things about men is that. Men often have this ability to focus on tasks. We, we tend to be, we're talking about generalizations, all right? We we tend to be stronger. We, uh, I mean, we could say some outrageous things here, but, but they are verifiable. Um, you know, t- men tend to be stronger. That's why in some states in America now the of the top 15 women athletics um, uh, records 15 of them belong to transgender women 15 of 15 of the top records men who've transitioned to being women right by name now hold 15 of the 15 of the top records in some state, I can't remember which state, Michigan is coming to mind, I think it is Michigan Athletics, but this is a terrible thing and so we, these questions are important because we as men, sometimes one of our issues is that we can be so caught up on a detail that we can miss the surrounding context of it because we we want to establish a theology on the basis of that small detail we we want to establish something important because it mentions a word and so therefore we want to establish that theology on the basis of that word you know and so we can then debate the meaning of the word and and we we forget though the surrounding context and the real meaning of what Paul was writing to them uh, because we get caught into this. And, you know, so, for example, Paul mentions in mm-hmm. here election, and we could get so caught on that, uh, that that he has chosen you. We could get caught on that and miss the main meaning of the text, that he's not just focusing in on that issue. It's the same with the return of the Lord in chapter 4. We could get caught on that and be reading our theology into it and debating that uh, the timelines and all these kinds of things and worried about all kinds of stuff and missing the real comfort behind what Paul is trying to write to the Thessalonian church. And so, you know, the, think about some of the big pictures that Paul has put in there, They're the lessons and the testimony of their faith, the lessons and the testimony of their persecution and joy that they had despite the persecution. The reminder of how they received the word of God despite that persecution and affliction that they had. That we can rejoice in the salvation of persecuted believers. As a result, Paul is rejoicing in this news that he's hearing back. That that as the word has come back to him about this church, he's rejoicing in that. These these are wonderful things because these are the big things that are settled on Paul's heart. And so often we get caught down into the minutia of something that we're missing actually the big picture of it. And it, it can be a real problem for us. I'm not saying avoid that. I'm just saying keep it in that perspective. You know, keep it in that perspective. Paul reminded them of the example that he set before. When he was there, he didn't get into all the detail. He wasn't trying to prescribe to them a, a when you wake up, do this and do that and this is how you should live your life and you need to spend at least 60 minutes in prayer every morning. He wasn't doing that. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, look at how we lived among you. There was integrity to the way we lived. Our lives were open for you to read us. And this is really important because what these kinds of statements say is here is the big picture of Paul's writing to them is that they can look at these things and there are real lessons from those kinds of things, great and practical lessons that Paul gives to them. Now, this doesn't mean we avoid these topics, but it means that when we do come onto those topics, whether it be election or or whether we talk about the end times and stuff, let's keep it in the context of the bigger picture and how the bigger picture actually applies and not then be at war with one another over a very small statement within a passage. Chapter 2 verse 13 writes, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us you welcomed it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. See the this kind of thing has to be harmonized. And I, I said to you last week when I was um, uh, talking about election and, and where I stand on that, that, that uh, which is very much uh, in line with what Warren Wearsby says that, that there needs to be a balance kept on these things, that we're chosen in Christ by the Father. From eternity past and as far as god the holy spirit is concerned we we are saved upon his entrance into our lives when when we are filled with the holy spirit and made to be a new creation and baptized into christ jesus as far as god the son is concerned we were saved when he declared it's finished that he accomplished a work at that time and so there's a balance to be kept in the tension of these things it's this is not a simple theology and when we just categorize them into one or the other the, which is which tends to be what people do we take a a binary position on things you know when you when you say for example uh, i don 't believe in this um, uh, current climate change perspective. Then people say here's the binary thing. So you're a climate denier. Right? This is the binary thing that happens. You you are either this or that. And and that's that can often put us in a, a wrong position because we can see a theology that is way more complex and a and a very simple statement can be made that is way more complex than what we can come to the conclusion of in some cases, and so it's important for us to be careful on these things. And so we would um, somehow have to harmonize uh, chapter one that that we were chosen by the by the Father with chapter two verse thirteen where they received the word of God, which they heard and you welcomed it, that there is a, an activity on the part of those who heard the gospel being preached to them that they welcomed it and they embraced it. And we have to be careful that we don't then go reading into it things that it doesn't say. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in assurance, in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you, for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word, in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples. This is a wonderful passage for you and I to study prayerfully and ask God to strengthen us in our own walk with him because there's so much to learn from it. Paul does use a word there that you were chosen to suffer there is a there is this issue that beloved brethren you know knowing beloved brethren your election by God there is an issue that that statement is connected to the very next statement because it begins with a for so when it begins with a for you ask the question what's it there for and it's there to help explain what was stated just before and so um, Paul says, "For our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and the Holy Spirit and much assurance uh, for you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us, having received the word in much affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit. So there is a very strong argument to say that the election here by God is relating to this suffering that they were experiencing uh, within that passage. So when we work within the text, um, and we'll move on from this. These are just intros, these last, last week and this week. When we work within the text, by seeing that context and, and working around it like that, you then start to grow in the depth of the passage. But ask yourselves questions as you read through. Am I this kind of person? Could, could Paul write this to me? Could he write, I give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in prayer, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labour of love and patience of hope. And if we have questions about that, if we say, well, I don't think I'm living up to that, that then becomes a step for us to move towards, a prayer for us to make. God, help me to be this kind of person. Help me to be like the Thessalonians on my way to becoming like Jesus. So it becomes a a stepping stone on the path that, that, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, that we have an achievable level before the unachievable, right? Paul apparently might be an achievable lesson. (laughs) That's, That's pretty high standard, you know? but he had his failings. And so this is that's how we should be reading these things, not just trying to unlock the, the, the deep theologies of the history and all this kind of stuff. Great, those things are awesome, but how does that apply to me? How Does my life match that statement that Paul is making to that church? And if not, then let's make that a prayerful approach. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's a an awesome statement in chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's close there um, this morning with that. And, you know, get stuck into Thessalonians. You'll enjoy it. Um, It's a wonderful book and you'll be be very stirred and encouraged by it as you read it. So, praise God. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au